Turn in your Bibles or maybe a tablet or an iPhone that you brought with you. We're going to be going to Galatians chapter 1 and looking at verses 6 through 10 here in just a moment. So, but first I want to set up that passage and set up what this sermon's about with an illustration. There is a new, highly efficient system being used by San Francisco and New York City to detect the presence of toxins in the city's water supply. A possible sign of a terrorist attack. If there's toxins, it's a sign of a terrorist attack. And so they have this highly efficient system. And the system is that they had found the best tool for monitoring such threats are bluegills. Bluegills. There's little pesky fish that you know we catch. And depending on how serious of a fisherman you are, you may not like catching bluegill because they keep stealing your bait. But bluegill, in this case, is a good thing because they're watching the water supply and watching the water. According to an article by Associated Press, a small number of bluegills are kept in a tank at the bottom of the city's water treatment plant because they are highly attuned to chemical imbalances in their environment. When a disturbance is present in the water, the bluegills react against it. If the computerized system of the treatment plant detects even the slightest change in a bluegill's vital signs, it sends out an email alert. From bluegills. Bill Lawler, the co founder of the corporation that makes and sells these bluegill monitoring systems, said, Nature's given us pretty much the most powerful and reliable early warning system out there. And it's in bluegills. Nobody would have thought. But we need a type of test as Christians as well. And that test is to test and make sure that our doctrine is sound. Our doctrine, doctrine would be our core set of beliefs, our core set of Biblical beliefs. Doctrine would be codified theology and beliefs. And we need it to make sure that it stays true to the Bible. And we see that in Galatians chapter 1. Paul had started this church in the Galatia area. And within a matter of a few years, they had veered way off track in their doctrine, in their theology, in their study of salvation. There was a study done because there was a rash of flying accidents for single-engine airplanes across North America. So he did a comprehensive study on these different crashes, these different aircraft accidents, and they found out that most all of the accidents were caused by those who had the most training. Most of the accidents were caused by experienced pilots, not inexperienced pilots. The inexperienced pilots would do all the tests for their pre-flight routine, and they would watch all their instruments. But the experienced pilots ended up skipping on certain things. And because of that, that led to certain accidents. In fact, the study concluded that pilots who get overconfident and stop pursuing ongoing safety training are four times more likely to have a fatal accident. Now, this is talking about single-engine airplanes. If you're flying today, don't get concerned But here's the point. Sometimes we as Christians are 400 flying hour disciples. Accidents take place because we stop going by the book. We think we're experienced, so we skip off on certain spiritual disciplines. We skip our Bible reading time or our prayer time. We skip on our commitment to the church. We skip because we think we are experienced. And because of that... We slump on allowing the standards of Scripture and the Holy Spirit to inspect every rivet in our hearts and lives. We go on day after day cutting corners. 
wondering why we lose power on the climbs, and we stall. Accidents may often be the consequences of thinking we know better. The Galatia, the church in Galatia, which the letter of Galatians is written to, they thought they knew better. Paul planted this church, and within a few years, these people came in, and they messed up the doctrine. They messed up the belief system. Today, I wish to keep moving through Galatians. This is our second sermon on Galatians. And my theme today is that there's no other gospel. There's no other gospel than the gospel presented in the Bible, the gospel which the Apostle Paul proclaimed to them when he was there at first. My application today is doctrine matters and seek to please the Lord. Doctrine matters and seek to please the Lord. And I have a little object up here. And I don't know if you know what it is. To many of you, you may think it's, it's a flashlight. I'm shining it. It's an LED light. It, it ran with me today. It's a flashlight, right? Well, we have to watch out because what may look like a flashlight so, serves a dual purpose. And it is also a taser. <laughs> it doesn't throw anything. You have to touch something to tase it. But... You know, my point in showing this object and this object lesson, sometimes things are not what they seem to be. And the Bible says that the devil masquerades as an angel of light. Jesus says that, you know, um, wolves will come to you in sheep's clothing. And we need to remember that about, a doctrine, about our doctrine. Bad doctrine is a devil in disguise. It may look like it's just a flashlight. It may look like it's just a flashlight. But in reality, it's a taser. And it might shock you. So I wanted to do that to help maybe you take home this message as we get into it. I'll refer to that again. But turn to Galatians 1, 6 through 10. It's just a short little passage. If you haven't turned there, turn there with me. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. Galatians 1, 6 through 10. I'm going to read it. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Spirit. I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ. For a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. You can leave your Bible open right there or your whatever you're using, a Bible app on a phone or whatever, because we're going to talk about that for a few minutes. In verses 6 through 7 of this passage, we see Paul's amazement and his rebuke. Notice that Paul says he is amazed. Some translations say he is marveled. He says, I'm amazed or I am marveled that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. He is amazed or marveled because they are deserting God. He is marveled or amazed because of how quickly they deserted God. This happened quickly. Galatians is one of the earliest letters written in the New Testament. Paul likely planted the church in the Galatia area around A.D. 46 or 47 during his first missionary journey. So A.D. 46 and 47 would have been roughly 16 to 17 years after Jesus' 
death, and resurrection. This is very soon in the early church. It's one of the first churches planted. And now it's likely A.D. 48 to 50. So it's been three to four years at this point since the church was started. And Paul is saying, I'm amazed, I marveled because you are so quickly deserting him who called you. It's only been three to four years since you accepted the gospel. It's only been three to four years since your church was founded. And you're already deserting Jesus. This calling being referred to as God's calling on them. And they're deserting Jesus despite the fact that Jesus is the one who called them. Jesus called them through the Holy Spirit. And they turned aside so quickly after the conversion. It seems as though in this passage, Paul seems to be accusing them of being fickle. Of being fickle. There's indication that they, they, they may have been Christians for some time, but they still turn aside when these teachers, or we call them Judaizers. Judaizers. These people were Judaizers, which means people came into the Galatia area and they wanted them to, to, to accept the whole Jewish law. They wanted to teach them and train them that to be a Christian, you have to follow the whole complete Jewish law. They turned the gospel upside down because the gospel of Jesus Christ is about salvation by grace through faith, not works. And they made, they made it about works. They made it about legalism. And as soon as these Judaizers came in and wanted to keep them to, them to keep the whole Jewish law, they accept it. And if that's the case, it seems that Paul had in mind that they were gullible. Paul was saying they were gullible. When I was in high school, I didn't really go to church much as a kid, and then I was in ninth grade, and my brother and I started going to a church, and we started attending church quite frequently, quite regularly, and I go to church, and the pastor's son, his name was Jonathan Snowden, and his son tells me, we had a newly built church, and his son tells me that when they built the church, we were meeting in a multi-purpose room, when they built this multi-purpose room, they spilled paint through the ceiling, through the ceiling of the church, and he tells me, if you look up to the ceiling... And you look really closely, you can see the red paint bleeding through. And it spells G-U, and I'm looking up as he tells me this, G-U-L-L-I-B-L-E, gullible. And I'm looking up and he starts laughing. There was no paint spill, there was nothing, but I was believing him. And it seems as though that's what's going on right here. Paul plants the church in Galatia. These people give their hearts to Jesus as Lord and Savior. And then just in a matter of years, these other people come in and these people tell them they have to keep the whole Jewish law. They have to go backwards. It was easy believism at its worst. In the book of Acts, Luke describes Paul's ministry amongst the Thessalonian Jews. And the Thessalonian Jews chase him off. He's persecuted. He has to flee. That's in Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. Then Paul goes to the church in Berea, not the church, the, 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 the Jewish people in the, in the area of Berea. Not Berea where the Cleveland Browns practice. You don't want anything to do with that. This is a different Berea in the Middle East, okay? And so then he goes to this, the Jewish people in Berea. And while he's in Berea, he declares the gospel to them. And this is in Acts 17, verses 10 through 15. And the Bereans are described as ones who search the scriptures to see if what he says is true. They didn't just chase Paul off. They didn't just try to stone him. They didn't just try to kill him. They went back to their scriptures. They went back to their Hebrew scriptures to see if what Paul was sharing was true. Paul says here that they deserted the one who 
called them. They deserted Jesus who called them. And they quickly deserted him. And this word for call, it's not just calling someone on the phone or anything like that. This has to do with God's creative act of summoning something into existence or someone into existence. This word for call has to do with God's creation. God called and they were created in Genesis. God called the people of Israel. God calls and creates the church today. God called them to be Christ followers, to be Christians. God called the people in Galatia, each one of them individually, into his kingdom. God called them to be Christians through the Holy Spirit, and they quickly deserted him. They deserted God's way. They turned to a different gospel. Once again, these people came in. We call them Judaizers. And they thought they were lighting up the path like a flashlight, but it wasn't. It was a taser. Shocking. It was disruptive. And it happens quite simply. If we mix in a little bit of falsehood with a lot of truth, it's very dangerous. I once heard that rat poison is 99% perfectly fine and only 1% poison. The cults exist based off of this. These current religious movements, they sway people, they sway good Christians because they come in with a lot of truth and a little bit of poison and they sway them off the correct path. Lady Gaga was in an interview, Lady Gaga, the, the musician, and she was in an interview with New York Magazine and she said, what I've discovered is that in art, as in music, there's a lot of truth and then there's a lie. The artist is essentially creating his work to make this lie a truth. But then he slides it in amongst all the others. The tiny, the tiny little lie is the moment I live for, my moment. It's the moment the audience falls in love. And this is why I make the case every Sunday that doctrine matters, theology matters. Christians need to know correct doctrine, correct theology. We need to know it, and we need to know it well. And many times we are willfully ignorant. And we are easily deceived. Theology is a study of God, and doctrine is that theology that has been organized to form a set of beliefs. And these people in Galatia, they're not swaying on small things. They're swaying on major, major issues. They have veered off to what the Apostle Paul calls a different gospel, a perverted gospel. They have swayed. They have turned the gospel upside down. Listen, there are many views to which Christians have differed on, which is okay. We've had different views through the ages on many different things. We've had different views on end times, which is called eschatology. We've had different views on God's sovereignty and our salvation, which we may call election and predestination. We've had different, different views about eternal security. We've had different views on spiritual gifts. These are small issues. They're not essential doctrines. But the study of salvation, which we call soteriology, is a big deal. And they have totally perverted the gospel. They have turned the gospel from grace-based salvation to works-based salvations. In verse 7, Paul says that, they are, that some are disturbing or troubling them. The word for trouble could mean frighten or to create mental anguish or fear. This means severe mental anguish. Get this. These Judaizers had come in and they had created severe mental anguish, anxiety within them by turning the gospel upside down. In fact, when Paul says that the gospel is distorted or perverted, it has the idea of changing something into the opposite. The gospel had been totally changed into what a different gospel, as he says, a perverted gospel. 
In verses 8 through 9, we see Paul's judgment. Paul says that even if they or an angel from heaven should preach a different gospel, let him be accursed. Paul is saying that it does not matter who teaches it. If it is a false gospel, it is wrong. The people of Galatia might have claimed that the Jerusalem apostles, which would be like Peter and James and John and the Jerusalem apostles, had preached this gospel. Now, later on, we find out that's not true. The Jerusalem apostles had accepted the apostle Paul and had recognized salvation by grace alone. And you can read about that in Acts chapter 15. But Paul here is saying it doesn't matter. Paul is saying if anyone, even an angel from heaven, preaches a different gospel to you, he is to be accursed. In verse 10, we see Paul's defense. In verse 10, Paul is saying that he is only there to please God. Paul is only there to please God. Paul is a bondservant of the Lord. And bondservant means that he is a willing servant of the Lord. I have some applications here. Some applications. Doctrine matters. We must take seriously proper doctrine. Doctrine matters, in which means we must study proper doctrine. We must study the proper doctrine of salvation which is called soteriology. We must study the proper doctrine of God, which is called theology. We must study the other doctrines, the doctrine of the church, the doctrine of end times. Doctrine matters. We must start by studying the Bible, and we must chase all things that claim to be doctrine back to the Bible as the inspired word of God. If it cannot be proved by the Bible, it just cannot be proved. And it may, let me back that up. If it cannot be proved by the Bible, it's likely false. All truth is God's truth. There's a lot of truth out there. But if it contradicts the Bible, it is a contradiction. It is not from God. We must study what Christian writers have written about the Bible, but we must start with the Bible. Doctrine matters, and we must guard the church's doctrine. And that means we must pray about this, and we must not be led astray. We must lead the church to practice church discipline on false teachers. We can see that happen in 1 Corinthians 5 as well as Matthew 18, 15 through 17. That means that we cannot allow false teachers in the church. We must recognize essential doctrines versus things that are not as clear. In this case, they were teaching a different gospel. In verse 10, we must seek to please the Lord. We must seek to please the Lord in our family, in our individual life, in our church. Things get messed up over time. And that's why we must go back to the Bible. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says all scripture is God-breathed. That means it's inspired. And so it's useful for teaching, reproving, rebuking, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Why is all Scripture useful? Because it's God-breathed. We are certainly a church, and Christianity in and of itself is founded on the Bible, on the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. It's interesting in the book of Revelation, three times in the book of Revelation, three times John says he is being persecuted for the Word of God in the testimony of Jesus Christ. Three times. How did Jesus respond to the devil in temptation? Each time with the word of God, with the Old Testament. Lee Strobel gives the example of something getting lost in translation. He writes, I don't know if you've seen the new machines they've got. You could do this on the internet. They will translate English into whatever language you want. Type in a phrase and push a button and it will translate it into French or Spanish or German or whatever. He says, I've always been curious. How do you know the translation is good? A guy had a similar question and did something fun. He took the song, Take Me Out to the Ball Game, typed it into the computer, and translated that song into German. Then he translated it back into English. 
to see if anything got lost in translation. You know the song. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out to the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jacks. I don't care if I ever get back. Let me root, root, root for the home team. If they don't win, it's a shame. For it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game. He translated it into German. Then he took it back into English, and he got something that sounded totally different. It was a little bit more like Arnold Schwarzenegger or, or some action movie, okay? A little militant. This is what it said. Execute me. Execute me to the ball game. Execute me with the masses. Buy me certain groundness and cracker stack fusig. I'm not interested if I never receive back. Let me root, root, root for the main team. If they do not win, it is dishonor. For there are one, two, three impacts on you at the old ball game. Something got lost in translation. And we must beware in our Christianity that things do not get lost over time. That's why we have to understand proper doctrine and take it back to the Bible, take it back to the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. We're going to take communion here in just a moment after a hymn, but first I want to ask you a heart question. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? The Bible teaches that we need to confess we are a sinner in need of a Savior, believe that Jesus is the only Savior, commit our life to Him and trust in Him as Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches in Luke 9.23, Jesus says, anyone can come after me, but he's got to deny himself, take up his cross every day and follow. Jesus gives us a totally free gift of salvation, but he does call for commitment. And I want to ask you, are you committed to Jesus? It's easy for us to believe, but are we committed? We could go further and we could say, does your worldview come from Jesus? But first and foremost, are you committed to Jesus? The Bible teaches that God created us to be in a relationship with him. That's in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. God desired a relationship with us. But Genesis 3 teaches that our sin separated us from God. We don't think our sin's that bad because we're comparing it with our neighbor or our brother or our sister or our children or whoever else. We're not comparing ourselves with the right standard. To really determine if our sin's that bad, we need to compare ourselves to God. And God is holy, and God is righteous, and God is pure, and all sin is against the Lord. So the Bible teaches that our sins, they separate us from God. The Bible teaches that sins cannot be removed by good works. We see that in Genesis 4 through Malachi 4. Our good works do not cover sin, but God loves us and wants a relationship with us. So the Bible teaches that paying the price for our sin, Jesus died and rose again. When Jesus hung on the cross, you can imagine your sins going from you at the foot to him on the cross. And everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. We see that in the Gospels. And life that's eternal means we will be with Jesus forever. Revelation 22.5. It's not just about being with Jesus for eternity, though. It's about having Jesus in your life now. Jesus gives us eternal life, but Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, gives us a fuller life now. A different worldview. A better way. All throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the New Testament, I believe Jesus was looking on the people. God's looking on the people and saying, I have a better way. I have a better way. A better way of living. And I think he's looking on us right now saying, I have a better way. So I want to ask you, are you surrendered to Jesus? Have you believed that he is the way, the truth, and the life? No one comes to the Father except by him. Have you committed your life to him? Are you trusting in him as Lord and Savior? Are you surrendered to him? Sin is a break in a relationship. 
It just is. Technically, that's what the word, that's how it works in the basic root of the word. If we are living in sin, we have a broken relationship with God. If we're not in prayer or in scripture reading, not spending time with other Christians in the church family, we have a break in relationship with God. I only say that to mean many times we think we have this relationship with God, but we logically don't. Basic reasoning would say you don't because we're never spending time with him in prayer or in scripture reading in church family. It's like saying I have a relationship with my wife, but I haven't seen her in uh, Christmas and Easter. We're together on Christmas and Easter. You don't have a relationship with him, you know? So I want to ask you, do you have a relationship with Jesus as your Lord and Savior? I want to give a closing prayer, and I'm just going to open in the prayer with a prayer for just a general prayer for God's help living for him. This is part of the prayer. I'm giving an opportunity for any of you who have never surrendered your life to Jesus to surrender today and make Jesus Lord and Savior. I always got to give a disclaimer. You're not saved through the prayer. You're not saved. The prayer is not some formula. Just say this right, you know, and you'll get it. The prayer, you're saved by what's in your heart. Let's pray right now. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this example in Galatians where Paul gives them a correction in their doctrine, a correction in, to bring them back to grace-based salvation. Jesus, I thank you that we're saved by grace, not by works. Because if we were saved by works, none of us would be saved. None of us could earn our salvation, Jesus, and that's why you had to come. If we could earn our eternal life, if we could earn our salvation, if we could be good enough to be saved, we would not need you to die on the cross for our sins. Jesus, I thank you for the sacrifice you made. Jesus, help us all studying the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ and not departing from the correct truth, from correct doctrine. Jesus, help us living for you. We can't do it on our own. We need your help. We need the Holy Spirit's guidance and the Holy Spirit's help. And God, if there's anyone here right now who's never surrendered their life and made you Lord and Savior, may today be the day of salvation. May they confess they are a sinner in need of a Savior. Believe that you are the only Savior. Trust in you as Lord and Savior and commit to you. And Jesus, I would just like to lead them in a prayer telling them, telling you that's what they're doing. If you would like to surrender your life to Jesus today, say a prayer like this silently to God. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I have sinned and missed your perfect standard. I believe in you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one goes to heaven except by you. I believe in you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again. I'm committing my life to you. I'm trusting in you as Lord and Savior. Help me to live for you. Jesus, help us all to live for you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If any of you said that prayer, share it with someone. If any of you